Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. What a wonderful universe. Welcome to Surely You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. I've been on travel this week, uh, visiting my wife's family. Uh, my wife's father is a professor at Rutgers, and he lives nearby in Hannah, Princeton. Went up to New York, Connecticut, went to coal country. That was super fun. Uh, but uh, I did a show in, in New York at The Stand for the first time. That was awesome. But while I was out here, I wanted to make sure that I could get at least one episode in. I tried to get Owen in, but he's, uh, he's taking care of his, uh, his, little, his new boy. So wasn't able to get in on this one, but um, I'm sure we'll be able to come back. Uh, I'm here with a guest today at Rutgers University, somebody who uh, also went to Caltech, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, he's also a theoretical physicist who studies uh, BSM physics, which uh, sounds like a not safe for work uh, Google search term. But it's actually the same thing I'm in, so I know this one well. It's beyond the standard model physics. It's my, my favorite kind. Uh, so I'm very excited to talk to this guy. Uh, welcome to the show, Professor Matthew Buckley. Yes. yes. Got Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, so today was kind of disappointing news for uh, some of us, <laughs> people who study the BSM place, because we're still having, it looks like we're still having trouble finding the B, the beyond. <laughs> yes, the standard model has survived yet again for the 40th year running. Okay. Can you just remind our listeners, most of them are not scientists, what, what the standard model is? Right. So the standard model of particle physics is a theory that explains how every particle and interaction that we are made up of, how it works. Um, everything actually except gravity. So it explains how the light uh, that hits the electrons in the atoms in your eye work. It explains how the atoms, the electrons are bound to nuclei. It explains how the nuclei are held together by the strong nuclear force. It explains how nuclei decay through the weak nuclear force. And it's actually one of the most precise theories of physics ever, or science ever developed. It, but in, do, does it explain the Kardashians? Uh, uh, yes, they are part they of are, this universe. They're part of it? But there's no, you don't think there's a, there might be some beyond the standard model physics in there? Uh, um, possibly, but I'm not, I mean, it's, it's not five sigma evidence, so we'll have, to, we'll have to say it's probably, it's just a, somewhere out on a, a, an extreme of some distribution. Okay, so mostly you did, uh, you're looking at uh, data coming in from the Large Hadron Collider. That's right? one aspect of it. I actually kind of live in a strange uh sort of halfway between two fields. Um, I my know feeling. Yeah, yeah, my actual um, <laughs> position here is in the astrophysics group because what I do is a combination of uh, Large Hadron Collider kind of physics, so particle physics, but then I'm also interested in uh, dark matter. So dark matter, um, as we'll probably get into, is something we know exists in that we know galaxies and clusters of galaxies can't be um, have more matter in them than can be explained by what we see. So there's something new there. And the way I view it is that that's evidence of beyond the standard model physics. So my background coming from particle physics, I ended up 
in astrophysics after some number of years. Mm -hmm. Although I was amazed to find out there was a conference at Caltech just before I left, and there's still some modified gravity yes. things Mond. holding on because we're having so much trouble with finding yeah. this dark matter in, the ex in, in experiments. People are getting a little bit happier yeah, about so it I, again. Which... I will say that uh, when I'm trying to not offend the people who don't believe that such a thing as dark matter exists, I would say that if you look at a spiral galaxy, we know that if you add up all of the stars and gas that's in a spiral galaxy, um, there's not enough to actually keep the stars inside that galaxy. Like mm -hmm. you look at a spiral, it looks a spiral galaxy like the. That's Milky called the Way. Kanye West effect, by the way. Yeah, he, there's nothing that can contain him. He's yeah. He should he's be flying destined off, to fly yeah. off, but yeah. something's holding him down. Yeah. So if you look at a spiral galaxy, it looks like it's spinning, and it actually is spinning. It's just spinning at about one rotation every quarter billion years, and if you measured how fast each one of those stars is going, they should just fly off in a straight line. They shouldn't be kept in a circle like the sun uh, keeps the Earth going around in a circle. Um, so they should just fly off in a straight line, but they don't. Um, and so something must be holding them together. And one option is that there's some unknown particle that fills up the rest of the galaxy. We can't see it by definition, so we call it dark matter. Uh, the other option is that we just get gravity wrong on scales much bigger than the solar system, and that's called modified Newtonian dynamics, or MOND. Um, I believe that MOND is wrong. Um, most people do. Um, I will not say that they necessarily are wrong, but mm -hmm. part of living on the bleeding edge of physics is you have to kind of guess what you think the right answer is and then try to go find evidence for it. So one day or another, one group of us will be proven wrong, um, mm -hmm. and I think we're still kind of in that intermediate phase. Well, I'm also, I'm excited about this. Uh, there's a new group that showed up. It was pointed out by to me by Sean Carroll first. Um, I thought it had been resolved, but uh, after LIGO discovered a 30 mass black hole, there's there suddenly was this big surge of people saying, oh, by the way, remember we ruled out machos? Machos are, uh, you know this, but for the people yeah. listening, machos are uh, massive Compact halo ca objects. Compact halo objects. When, of course, our, you know, as uh, beyond the standard model physics uh, people, I don't know, what are you, are we in a club or team or something? I don't know. We, we're normally uh, rooting team for wimps, yeah. you know, for the little guy being, you know, these massive particles that hopefully we might be able to find someday. But uh, I was under the impression for a long time that astronomers, they gave me a very solid commitment that they had right. ruled out uh, machos, then all of a sudden they say, oh, by the way, yeah, they could have been machos all along. You just didn't think that 30 would be a, a big number. It's kind of intention. Um, so the idea being that the galaxy is being held together by a bunch of just just objects like, the original idea was that the, the galaxy was just filled up with um, stars that didn't become stars. So when we look at a galaxy and say, oh, there's not enough stuff there, we're really saying there's not enough glowing stuff, um, which is either gas, um, so kind of um, atoms individually, or stars, which are glowing. And it turns out that if you take, you know, if you just took the like planet... stuff giving off light or stuff in the way. Yeah. Okay, so those are the and if you took Jupiter and you just put it in the middle of the galaxy, not near a star, you can't actually see it. I mean, it doesn't glow hot enough, and it can't glow under its own... It doesn't glow custom nuclear fusion. And so the idea is just, oh, you know, take a few quadrillion Jupiters and spread them through the galaxy, and that will give you enough mass to keep the galaxy together. Um, we tried to actually prove that that was what was going on, and what you do is you look at a bunch of stars and you wait for Jup uh, one of those little cold 
Jupiter is to drift between you and the star, and the star will flicker. And we looked at, I think it's like two million stars, and we didn't see any of them flicker, or not enough of them flickered in ways we couldn't explain, and that put a limit. And they said, oh, there are none of these objects. That's like the ultimate reality TV show right there, because you're looking at two million stars at once, tracking the... And just wait, for, yeah, waiting for like, which one yeah, you know, just goes the, off the rails and yeah. just dims a little bit. Right, actually it's brightens like the a ultimate bit. paparazzi yeah. thing, except yeah. funded by NASA. Yeah, so well, it was us and probably the Europeans too. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So um, they like their paparazzi there. I mean, that's yeah, that's an Italian that's where word. It comes so, from. Yeah. yeah. So um, the way out of this actually is if you instead of making them kind of Jupiter mass objects, if you make them even bigger, then there are fewer of them. We know how or much. Machio or machio. Yeah, we know how much this stuff. Uh, we know how much this stuff weighs in the Milky Way. And so if you make each individual one way more, then there are fewer, and fewer of them will get with, between you and another star. And so the limits go away. Um, other limits come in for this particular idea that actually this, the universe is just filled with 30 solar mass black holes. Um, I believe it's ruled out, but it's not. It is less of a sort of really, oh, this is obviously wrong. Well, that's why, so I thought it ruled out too. And so uh, some, some friends I went to school with were talking about it. I have a friend on Kepler. Uh, I thought they would have limits on it. Turns out they don't. They're not sensitive to 30 mass. And I thought even like previous searches had. Uh, but um, my friend Katie Mack yeah. also published. She's like, oh, no, I actually wrote about this. It's true. Yeah, it's I not ruled she, out. I was actually and thinking I, of her. Okay, I thought yeah. she had ruled it out. But if she says she didn't, no, she, she should said know it was her, right on the edge. She, and she I was, should know her paper better <laughs> than I would. Right. So. Um, yeah, so that's what I was like, wow. So, I, you know, the problem is LIGO is still in their secretive phase. So it's not, uh, It's I can't just go and ask when the limits are on that because they're very, still very careful about yeah. uh, new events. But I think actually the fact that they haven't seen another event in that same mass scale on the same time scale, that might actually already be the exclusion. But I don't know until they yeah. really publish. I mean, they're going to have to make that decision well, LIGO themselves. LIGO was cause amusing because everyone actually figured out how many events they saw because every time they saw an event, they have a, a network where they connect. So LIGO is its gravitational wave observatory. And mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, we've interviewed yeah, uh, um, Kip Thorne yeah. on this. Uh, in fact, we, we had the episode with him where Kip was on. He had just found out that they made the first discovery. <laughs> so he was pretty smart. <laughs> and he was, about yeah, it. he was very excited <laughs> and said he had to go to, he said he was in between meetings because something yeah. very important was happening. But every time they, they see an event and they don't tell everyone until they've had chances to look at the data, they contact a bunch of observatories to go try to look for the ah, optical right. version of the event <laughs> they just saw in gravitational waves. And so somebody actually pulled, and the, the observatories do publish like what they're doing at any given mm -hmm. time. And so somebody actually pulled uh, the, the logs of when the observatories were suddenly skewing to look at new things. But they, they're blinded, so they should have they should have false alarms, I think. I think uh, if they're doing it right, they should actually um, have false Which is kind of, that it, that opens up a very interesting ethical dilemma here because if that's true and their false alarms are triggering them to contact yeah. observatories, that means that just for well, the sake of theater, you know, mental theater, they had four you're taking these, uh, these observatories and you know, possibly ruining someone else's data. They're testing night. to see whether the system works. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so somebody actually went through and, and dumped those uh, that those records and figured out that there were some set number of other possible events. That's but, hilarious. Yeah, I want to I want to find one of these observatory people and 
find out. If well, it wasn't been... somebody in an observatory. It was just some random. Like, oh, no, who found it, I know. Yeah, but I want to yeah. find somebody who's, whose night was interrupted was by possibly. Because of that. <laughs> yeah. Possibly because of a false discovery. Because yeah. uh, when we talked to uh, Alan Weinstein, he, he said he didn't even know until that morning if it was real. So they yeah. really take this very seriously, the blinding part. I talked to somebody who, yeah, had written a previous version um, before the actual LIGO discovery where I th they got all the way through the analysis chain to the point of writing the paper, wrote yep. the paper, and then somebody came in and said, no, no, that was injected fake signal. <laughs> Which is probably pretty frustrating if you're the, the main author on that paper. Yep, yep. <laughs> but they got another one and they're probably going to get a Nobel Prize. Yeah, so, yeah it all yeah. worked out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's an exciting one. And I think I, it looks like it's going back down to that. So it's still between WIMPs and modified gravity. Well, but I'm, I so still think So just to clarify, because my astronomer colleagues always get this wrong as well. So WIMP is a specific kind of dark matter candidate. Because it's weakly. Yeah. It stands for weakly interacting massive particle. And, and weak doesn't mean like not big or really small or uh, really okay, gradual. I got I to gotta correct you on this one. That's true originally, but we do... In fundamental symmetries world, we now kind of refer to weak meaning weak or something weak. <laughs> um, I've run into this problem a lot. Half of the community doesn't agree with that. Yeah, I know. So I, I mean, the, the idea it's a huge is, problem. Is, but a, a wimp is a specific kind of dark matter candidate, and more generally, dark matter is just a particle that has the property of not being seen. Um, so it's invisible to light and exists in large quantities in the galaxy around us. And so there are, for example, a particle called an axion or a hypothetical particle called an axion that could be the dark matter and it is not a WIMP. Right. Um, it's still right. a particle that is, doesn't interact with light and is weakly interacting in the sense of not interacting very much. Mm -hmm. um, and so It's almost like it was bad planning when we... Discovered the weak force? No, yeah. no, no. The wimp, I think, was fine. The entire weak force, because it was it's kind of a bold claim. You know, it's just like, this oh no, yeah, this thing is the weakest. Yeah. It can't possibly get weaker yeah. than this. When really, there's there's no reason to think it can. Especially since most of the weakness comes from the mass, the, the mass yeah. of the particle that the that actual interaction it. for the weak scale is larger than the interaction for light. Right. It's just the uh, the fact that the particles that are mediating it are so heavy, it, that's what keeps the weak scale so weak. Right, and in particular, I'm sure you guys have heard about the importance of discovering the Higgs mass that's roughly on the scale of the what determines the strength of the, of the weak force, because the weak force also interacts with the Higgs. Uh, but, you know, there could be other Higgs, and those only couple to other things, and so that's why there's, like, BSM people yeah, like Yeah, it's uh, a definitional problem. Because it is. Yeah. It's... It should have been called the the the, the not wine strong scene force or, or the not strong force. Yeah, I guess people sometimes call really the weak come up nuclear with, force. Yeah, it's as the long weak nuclear, nuclear force nuclear. is the, the correct name. Um, yeah, but no one says the nuclear bit. Sometimes I say it's weak the, forces as a way to like. It's the left-handed <laughs> force. It's the force that left-handed <laughs> particles feel. So, uh, can you tell us a little, can you tell us more about the level of confidence that uh, you guys had in your new announcement? Well, first of all, we didn't actually say what the new announcement yes. is. We got so sidetracked by dark matter. Yes. What is the big big news for this week? So, the big news um, from this conference in Chicago called ICHEP, which is sort of one of the summer conferences where many experiments release whatever they've discovered or not discovered. Uh, was that a particle or a hypothetical particle that had been 
Some evidence for its existence had been announced in December. Um, there was uh, this some... Is the 750 GeV particle. Right. So 750, at 750 GeV, the ATLAS and CMS experiments at the Large Hadron Collider had collected both some set of events that were suggestive of a new particle. And the evidence was something around what we call two sigma. So that's roughly one in 20 um, was the statistical evidence in favor of a new particle. So 95% of the time, given what we had seen, you would expect that evidence to be coming from a new particle rather than just a random fluctuation. Did you get to the part in listening to the episode with Mario Spiripulu where Owen said he would shoot his own foot? Yes, I got these that. Odds. <laughs> he, so it turns out that that would be a very bad bet. That seems like it would be a horrible bet. Yeah, I mean, so... I also it, thought we phrased the bet, the bet wrong because he said if he won money... And he would still do it, but I thought it had to be even harsher. It had to be, you don't win the money if you shoot, like, yeah. it has to be, you win the money and keep your foot, <laughs> but you don't win the money and you lose your foot. Because otherwise you could just say, oh, it's I'm willing, it. yeah. 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 Like, How oh, much I, money I are you shoot willing to shoot? Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to remove, so I, I, I did this little thought exercise after the episode, realized we should have made it more clear. So yeah. it's like, you know, some people just want to shoot their own foot. So, you know, what. for gambling, 95% chance of winning is actually reasonably good odds. I don't think you, in many cases you'd get uh, mm -hmm. anything I think better. 538 puts uh, Trump at around 25% chance of winning yeah. right now, and that doesn't make me sleep well at night. So exactly, yeah. this isn't that far off from that. Um, the evidence that we require for discovery in particle physics is set at what's called five sigma, which um, roughly is one chance in three and a half million that what you're seeing is coming from a random fluctuation. And what this means is that when you see, when we claim we're seeing a new particle, what we're really seeing is some collection of photons or electrons or positrons or some particle that we understand coming out of um, the collision of protons against protons at the LHC. There's crap that comes out and you're counting the crap, yeah. basically. Yeah. And the problem is these days, all of that, anything you see can be created by the standard model. And what you're trying to do is look for things that are happening a little more often than they should. And we saw something that was happening a little bit more often than it should. In particular, we're seeing pairs of photons that added up in a particular way to 750 GeV. Um, unfortunately, you can get those from the standard model. And so when we say that there was 95% chance that this was something new, we're saying, well, 95% of the time, you should never see this many photons if the standard model was the only thing at play. We needed to get to one in three and a half million, mm -hmm. uh, which actually I think is about the same as uh, airline accidents or something like that. So that's a pretty high level. It's of also a uh, royal flush, roughly. Okay, yeah. I calculated that a little while ago. Yeah, so I mean, that's a, it's a, it is not inconceivable, actually, right, that you I could mean, see something at... People do get royal flushes. Yeah, at, at, at uh, Five Sigma um, and be wrong. Um, uh, fortunately, we never have. Um, and knock on wood. Although with these new experiments, it gets tricky because you have so many new channels. Yeah. You have to divide out the different channels that you could get it. And you, I, I, I know you guys are... You put a lot of work into that, so yeah. I'm not worried about that There's something called the look right. elsewhere effect. If you looked right. at three and a half million different places, you actually expect to find something unusual once just by random chance. Right. It's like the lottery. 
It's very unlikely that you that win, you win yeah. but someone will win. Yeah. But it's just not going to be you. Exactly. <laughs> now, we haven't done probably three and a half million different independent searches, but we've certainly done more than 20. And it's enough that you have to start Yeah, doing so, this, you, yes. you, you know, one in 20 odds, like, well, you actually expect that to happen. So uh, my field is, I think, actually much more susceptible to this problem because the definition of what counts as a search is much more loosely defined because you know people we, we put effort into an experiment when it seems like there might be a possibility of it going somewhere so yeah. it's a little bit trickier because there's all these different experiments I don't even know all the nuclear physics experiments you guys have the benefit that you have one big organization that yeah. can subdivide and, and, and clearly define a search area yeah. and and uh, so the so you, I think it's we like you actually, have access to how many people bought lottery tickets, yeah. basically. Um, it's still a difficult thing, but I actually haven't gotten to what <laughs> the actual news. So the actual <laughs> news was that we had this evidence, and over the last six months, the theoretical physics community, of which I'm a part, has gone completely insane. About 500 papers. That's a bold claim. <laughs> wow. You heard it here. It's surely joking. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> edit this out. Tweet um, your complaints, too. <laughs> Let me, about 500 papers roughly were written on this potential anomaly. Um, so that's Just like the, the faster light neutrinos, same thing. Yeah, um, so it's actually called in the field ambulance chasing. Uh, when something weird <laughs> happens, <great>. um, everyone <laughs> goes and chases the ambulance. And mm -hmm. there's actually, there's something not unhealthy about this um, on occasion. It can get a little out of control. Did we need all 500 papers? No, mm -hmm. um, but you do need some amount of theoretical work on this. Yeah, but there's a little bit of in computer science they call the it's the uh, it's called overfitting. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's just like over it comes from I'm sure you know overfitting polynomials and stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you have an intel artificial intelligence model, which I'm sure theoretical physicists are, you know, very good no, the experimentalists. The experimentalists are very good at uh, building neural nets, actually. Oh, I know, but the but the theoretical physicists are good neural nets. They're not artificial. Sorry, somebody, that's what I meant. Somebody, the point is, though, they very quickly they put all their brain power onto fitting it, and you you have the error, the the possibility of the error that you you come up with a theory because there's so many damn people working on it. It's almost like well, actually, the so same, uh, the advantage of having 500 papers is that it gives you an idea of what was out there that could work. And the interesting thing, actually, and the reason a lot of people are getting excited is that there was nothing that was really beautiful that was working. And so if this was real, it was going to be just completely new and completely different. And no, there, of those 500 papers, none of them were really beautiful explanations. So leading up to iChep, we were all really excited. And then Atlas and CMS put out their new data. They had about four times as much data as the original announcement of this two sigma excess. And the way that statistics work, if you increase your data set by about a factor of four, you expect the statistical significance to go up by a factor of two. So two sigma should go to four sigma, very roughly. Um, four sigma is not discovery, but it's close enough that had that happened, the fever pitch would have just gone through the roof. I mean, the ambulance chasing would have gotten even worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead... I would have put out some papers, too. Maybe I mean, just, like, not? at that point, you're throwing your hat in the ring, right? right? Like, <laughs> you're saying, I probably don't have the right idea, but, yeah, let's see. The problem is, is that when the data was released, there was absolutely no evidence of any excess of particles in the 750 GeV region. And so and that's how you do science. Yes. Right there. In that's what you do. In 15 minutes, uh, this went from the most exciting thing in <laughs> physics, or at least in particle physics, to 
another item on the very long list of things that the standard model has ruined for us. Also, in other news, uh, we're going to be emailing uh, Owen a bullet, and we expect him to periscope the entire thing. So I'm pretty sure he committed to shooting himself in the foot in that last I one. I listened to the podcast. I mean, it was legally binding. As far as I know. <laughs> yeah, so. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. So that was the, the big sort of depressing news um, in that we, especially the theorists, I mean, the experimentalists also really would like to find something new. I mean, that's why they're doing all of the work they're doing. Um, they also are very busy actually doing the work. So the mm -hmm. theorists uh, kind of had six months to get really excited, and then it disappeared, and now there's a lot of um, questioning about whether all 500 papers were needed, and what does this mean, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um, Maybe we should just give up and go work at a law firm yeah. or an investment become a, bank. Become a quant, you yeah. know. <laughs> The usual list. That those weekly emails offering you million-dollar salaries are looking more appealing. <laughs> those stopped sometime around 2008. Yeah, so just so you guys know, uh, a lot of the stuff banks do with trading is very similar to these kind of searches, these kind of searches for new particles. So physicists get these, like, offers all the time to, to try and lure us away from looking for, you know, new physics and instead look for, like, a trending hot... Well, they've stopped acting memes, so apparently yeah, I've no, they, out of the... No, no, they've gone out. Well, yeah. also, uh, they try and go after postdocs, not professors, because yeah. yeah. they assume you've already... We've already... In. Yeah. yeah, we've bought in. Their so. favorite people to go after is the, is the postdocs, I think. Um, because you don't you have all this uncertainty in your life, and it's like, hey, I could find... You know, I could detect a crash or something. You know, like possibly, for example, maybe someone had an algorithm that predicted Brexit better than than uh, the media did, which is not hard to imagine. You know, there's people like Nate Silver out there making great progress on predicting elections. And so there's people who use this ma this mathematics and statistics to do other things other than physics. But Yeah, as I tell pe the people asking whether they want to go to grad school is that uh, it's physics is a lot of fun. Um, keep in mind that if you can do it, if you can have a career in physics, you can also have a career somewhere else that pays you a lot better. So you have to weigh that. Mm -hmm. um, and only do it if you really want to. Right. So. Yeah. That said, it is fun. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your uh, your time at Caltech? And So I was a postdoc at Caltech. I had done my PhD at UC Berkeley um, in theoretical physics. And then... What did you work on there? I worked for... Um, my advisor was Hitoshi Murayama. And so Hitoshi is a... Uh, is a generalist. He works on theoretical physics of many, many different kinds, um, neutrino physics, supersymmetry, um, and just sort of anything and everything. Um, and he had sort of trained me to be a bit of a generalist, but with a um, more of a bent towards dark matter. Um, so that's kind of where I started off from. Um, but I was trained as a, a particle theorist who thinks about LHC-related stuff um, because Leading up to 2008, the LHC hadn't really turned on, or it had turned on and then immediately exploded. Uh, so we had actually hadn't seen any data from it. So the major thing that theorists were being trained to do was to think about how to, to analyze data and results from the LHC. And then um, after that, uh, as a, once you finish your grad school as a theorist, um, the, if you want to stay in academia, the next path is to get a postdoc. Um, and I was offered a postdoc at Caltech. So, yeah. With uh, with Mark Wise. Mark Wise, yeah. guy on my committee. Also a very 
funny physicist. Yeah, he's a he's, very funny guy. When I told him I started doing stand-up, he actually looked legit kind of mad, to be honest. <laughs> I think he was like, he thought it was a turf war or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's a, he's a very he's fun guy. and um, Great teacher. A great teacher. Nice great guy, guy just to wander in and talk physics with, even if you're not working on a project with him at the moment. Um, and so I went down to, to Caltech. Um, yes, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. He, he interrupted my thesis defense. I had a picture of a, a preamp, or is, I mean, a, um, a, an amp for a PMT. And he just goes, like, he hadn't said anything the whole time. And he goes, that looks like the brakes on my car. <laughs> and then just, that was his commentary. Here is sitting in on experimental <laughs> talks is always amusing because we're like, oh, we vaguely heard of that. <laughs> But he's a pretty, like, experimentally-minded guy. But yeah. he also has a great sense of humor. Yeah. So, And uh, he was right. It did look like a car break. And I, I never put that picture in my talk again for that reason. You don't <laughs> want to throw the, the one theorist who actually knows what a car break looks like. Right. So. <laughs> We're not very you know, good at building things. Right. Uh, all the other theorists would just be set on, like, that's a three-dimensional object. <laughs> That's the limit of practicality for yeah. for most of them. Well, the yeah. string theorists have vaguely heard of electrons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I took some classes with them. I'm not going to name anybody, but... <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble at this point. Um, so. So, what do you, so, so now that's essentially ruled out, or at least it's certainly not ruled in. To, so it's just nowhere yeah, it's, else. It is that particular particle... Uh, the 750 GeV particle is as dead as it can be. Um, you I can always appeal to statistics and say, oh, it was an upward fluctuation, now it's a downward, but no one would believe you. Yeah. If you write that paper, well, good for you, I Hopefully guess. Hopefully they'll eventually turn away a paper. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that when I say 500 papers have been written, um, we have this thing called archive. Um, and it's actually one of, I think, for science is one of the greatest ways of getting information out there. Archive mm -hmm. uh, started as somebody's computer under their desk at Los Alamos, and it just has what are called preprints. Um, in the old days, uh, it's spelled archive is spelled with an X, X in the IV. middle because that's yeah. Kai. That's a took me a long time to even figure that out. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's a typesetting joke. Okay, uh, yeah. I get it. <laughs> so in the old days, like the, the big universities would actually just mail each other copies of papers that they were working on because it took a long time for a paper to be accepted to a journal. And so in order to kind of stake your claim on something you were doing, you'd mail, if you were at Harvard, you would mail Princeton a copy of your, and there'd be the preprint room where you just go in and read other people's papers that weren't published. And this was actually really undemocratic because if you were not at one of the universities, you weren't part of that the cool club of getting all these papers. Right. And eventually, which is a huge criticism of academia in general, yeah. even to this day, especially since everything except the archive is almost always uh, yeah, you pay can, to read, and so the general public doesn't have access to yeah. a lot of these papers. So, but this isn't the nowadays. It's not the problem in particle physics because at some point, kind of when the web was very young. Um, forgetting the guy's name who actually built the archive. Um, I don't know his name, but Jim, it was, uh, it, it was at Cornell or the one at Los Alamos? It was Los Alamos originally, and now it's at Cornell. And they just basically, you know, it was a small group of people. It was all particle theorists. And he just said, okay, well, I'll have a, um, a little server sitting on, under my desk, and people will email me a copy of their paper. I will put it up, and then every day or, every, you know, uh, every day you can just go and see what, did other people put on archive today? Mm -hmm. and, and you guys can try it out. You can go to yeah. A R uh, X I C 
IV. IV. <laughs> ARXIV.org. It's uh, now it's run by Cornell. Uh, Cornell and um, other organizations pay into it because mm-hmm. you know they have people who have to maintain it. And, and you'll see their the Cornell logo and everything. And there's just all these papers in high energy physics, high energy theory. Yeah, but it's all free. And actually, in particle theory, we have this advantage that we don't build experiments. We don't have to run experiments. Everything we're doing is stuff that you can, in principle, replicate. Not always, but that's the idea. And so the most important thing, the way that you say your result is out there, is actually not getting it peer-reviewed and put out in a journal. You put it on archive. Mm-hmm. And then you get it peer-reviewed yeah. down the road. And uh, it's, it's in this weird nebulous region between peer review because the rules about submitting is that you have to have had at least one other person who's submitted on it. It used there. to be just totally open. Um, but but man, does that fill up fast with, well, you guys, you've read YouTube comments. You know what that's yeah. like. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, they, they like do that. have no, a No, you're little... stupid. You know, like yeah. that would be a paper. Topic. Though I think if you're coming from .edu locations um, and you can get kind of grandfathered in. I've, it's been a while since I've had to be approved for archive. Because um, once you're in, they kind of assume that you're not going to turn into a crackpot which is not always a great assumption. bold assumption. (laughs) (laughs) But basically every day there are about 100 papers in fields that I'm directly interested in. So every day during the week you fire up the archive and see what people have written about today. And so these 500 papers were occurring on archive because actually, you know, six months is... It's too long. You wouldn't have it out there. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, papers could be getting into journals now. even if they were written a month or two after this started. And so only a small number have actually been peer-reviewed. Now, does that make the ones that weren't peer-reviewed worse? In some cases, yes. Um, in other cases, it's that the people didn't bother to submit them to peer review because archive can be a form of peer review. Every time you submit a paper to archive, um, you get emails. Um, a lot of them are just from people saying, you didn't cite me, please cite me. Other <laughs> ones are actually substantive saying like, does oh, that work? I was thinking of doing that, actually. Oh, the, the obnoxious email about citing? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, oh, it wow. can work. It depends I've, if I a little, I've gotten some papers sent to me, and I, I was a little angry that I think some of them... Some of them, it depends if I want to annoy you or not, right? Yeah. Because if you email me and I ignore you... But now you, that you're telling me that people do it, now I feel more like, yeah. hey, well, maybe it's okay. I don't know. Well, How bad is it? How bad is it? Depends if it's warranted or not. Ah, okay. There's <laughs> one guy who emails everybody for every... I think he has a little program that just searches archive for um, keywords. Uh-huh. And he emails you. You can be guaranteed you'll get an email from him. And I don't cite him on, on principle now. Uh, okay. Uh, All right. So don't go. Uh, <laughs> don't go spam bot on anybody. But uh, you know, our archive also has anti-spam bot code in it to prevent people <laughs> from doing that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So you know, archive is an incredible tool, and actually, you know, I think it's one of the great it, great contributions that particle physics has done in terms of open science because everything we do is on archive um, and can be read for free, not beyond a paywall anywhere in the world. Um, and you submit to archive and then you, you know, especially for younger people like me, you then submit to a journal in order to, in order to convince the tenure committee that what you did was not so stupid that it couldn't get past peer review. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so are you, are you like being a professor? Do you recommend it? Should I just give up now? Should I being shoot myself in the has, foot? Um, I enjoy being a professor. I also enjoy teaching, or um, which is not necessarily true for every professor. Um, is Rutgers uh, heavy on the teaching? No, it's or a, the sort research. Of, it's a, Rutgers is what's called an R one, which is a primarily research institution. 
um, like most of the sort of flagship state universities. Um, Rutgers, in case you in the audience don't know, if you if it was any other state, it would be the University of New Jersey. Uh -huh. um, New Jersey just decided to call they had a university just a bad enough reputation as a state. <laughs> no, have there you ever heard New Yorkers talk about New Jersey. My They're, family is so... from New York. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was born in New Jersey, yeah. so every time I I tell people that, they're like, "But you only have one head." You know, yeah, they, well, <laughs> no, Rutgers just predated the uh, state university system, and rather than building a university, they just called Rutgers the state university. So, And they had, like, the Princeton complex going on. They were like, we have to really step it up here because <laughs> we can't just have Princeton as yeah, you know, you need Jersey a, you State. Need a public, it, has yeah. it has to sound. Yeah, like, so it's, um, you know, primarily research-focused. And, um, you know, there's a bit of a transition because um, when you're a postdoc, all you're doing is research effectively. Um, and then you become a professor. Or a comedy podcast. Oh, yeah. Until you know. your advisor gets mad at you and threatens to kick you out. I mean, hypothetically. I mean, hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a common problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're basically just being judged on your, on your research. Um, and then you become a professor, and it's sort of a very rapid phase change from just worrying about research to worrying about research and teaching and... Now you're asked to advise students and get grants and all that. And so the it's grants, a, oh my God, that's it's the a part steep that scares me. Yeah, that's it's a steep learning curve. Me. Um, but it, it, it's fun. Um, I still get paid to think about what the universe does, and that's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it, right? Like, yeah. I'm just paid to, to think about how the universe began and what it's filled with now. And um, the teaching that's is That's pretty fun. much all comedians are paid to think, too. Sure. They yeah. just they put a and then you, joke at yeah, the end. Yeah, and then you just have to make a wry comment about it at the end. Um, but yeah, and then the teaching, you know, presumably we all get into physics because we think this stuff is really cool. And um, the longer you do it, sometimes you can get a little blasé about, oh, this is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something really fun about being able to, you know, if you're in front of a group of people who are, you know, sophomores and haven't actually heard about gravitational waves or you know, how the LHC works, and you get to tell them about it, um, and you realize, oh, yes, this is actually kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, whereas before, it was just Tuesday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I think, the, the fun part of being a professor. All right. Thank you very much, Matthew. Matthew Buckley. Um, thanks for being on the show. Uh, can people follow you on Twitter? You tweet. Every, I read a lot of your tweets. They look really exciting. So uh, Yes, I am you. at PhysicsMatt. So physics Matt that's at, great. Um, on Twitter. So there are a lot of Matts in physics, but I'm the physics Matt, I oh, guess. Awesome. Are you going to start getting on TV too? You want to do uh, that at some point? Are you ready? <laughs> I have a lot of other things I need to be doing right uh, now. But, okay. um, no, I mean, again, as I indicated, telling people about why physics is fun is... Uh, that's reward now. It's a reward. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're part of the world. If you're an American citizen, you're paying for this research, and you should know why what? it's cool and yep. why we're doing it. Absolutely. So. All right, I'm Kevin Peter Hickerson. You can follow me at KP Hickerson. This has been Surely You're Joking. Thanks again, Matt. You're welcome. Bye.